0: So this is our second week of um, looking at Karens of prayer. Uh, really, it's kind of our third week. I see somebody added a stone, and that's good uh, because we do have... Um, so last week, anyway, some of you told me that you never heard of Karens before. Uh, someone thought I misspelled something. Now, let me be real clear. We are talking about uh, what we're talking about here are Karens, not Karens, okay, okay? It's, it's Karens, not Karens, just so just so we're real clear on that. Um, now, if you were to Google the word, what you would find, uh, did you Google it, Jeff? You were talking about Googling it last week, yep, yep. So what you would find, you know, one of the, a couple of the definitions they give you there, is a Karen is a man-made pile of stones raised for a purpose. They're raised for a purpose, usually as a marker or a burial mound. Um, But it says, says when the trail seems unclear, there are many possible paths to travel. The Karen points you in the right direction. Uh, And that's what, it calls attention to a path or a trail. I told you last week when we would go camping in the Boundary Waters, when we would go out, uh, the the trail was not clearly marked, Uh, you know, this this. Karen here is a, a, on Bass Road, and it's marking. It is in a driveway of a house that used to be there. And if you look closely, you can see the fading, the fading tracks in the driveway. Uh, Karen, when we were in the Boundary Waters, pointed out those portages we needed to get from one lake to another, and they're not. You know, they're they're to say they're not well traveled. You know. Um, there's not it's not it's not like a cement sidewalk there uh, or anything and and they were very helpful you know for us there so we're looking at some scripture passages regarding prayer and i'm using the word karen as a marker to help you pray calling attention to some passages on uh, some passages where they pray now, again, we're not looking at Moses' prayer or Mary's prayer Mary, or any of those. That's not what we're looking at. We're looking at some of the passages, and I'm focusing on New Testament passages uh that where many of it is Paul's writings, where he was moved to pray, you know, and where as he was writing, he he just began to pray for him. So, Karens of prayer, you know, are... Our scriptures to point you to a path that you can use, that you, a path you can use when you pray. Now, last week we looked at First Thessalonians three. You can watch that or listen to it online if you want to. The week before, which in my mind is when I was starting this series, but I didn't call that one I didn't call that Karen's of Prayer because that was on Matthew six, the Lord's Prayer. That's far from um, From not being traveled often, Uh, but the challenge for us with that is to pray it and not recite it, and there's a difference. But let's pray, and we'll get into our passage again today. Father, thank you for your guidance that you give us in so many ways, and as we think of your word, what a great, what a great guide for life. Don't ever let us sell it short, and certainly don't let us set it aside. Help us to see ourselves in your word. Help us to see those around us that we might be able to help them know you a little bit more, uh, be drawn closer to you, be drawn deeper into relationship with you, those of us who know you. So as we look into the passage today, open our minds, our hearts, our lives to you, that we would be people who, well, certainly people who do pray, but people who see what a great glorious God you are and are moved to prayer because of that. So open our minds, our hearts, our thoughts. We pray in Christ's name, Amen. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter one. (coughs) Excuse me. We're going to be Ephesians chapter one, um, page one thousand seventy-six. Drop down to verse fifteen of that chapter. Uh, This is as I was going through and looking at passages I mentioned last week. I think I have fifteen or sixteen or something like that. We probably. I, I don't expect that we'll hit them all. There's three passages in Ephesians. I don't know that we'll hit all three of them, but. Um, one of the things I like about this passage, and others, are that we can actually pray these verses. I mean, we can use these verses as the words of our prayer. You simply insert the, you simply insert you know person's name in there. Uh, now, again, remember I mentioned last week. We talked about it a little bit more, and I just mentioned it. You know, again, there is a difference between reciting a prayer and praying a prayer. You can recite the Lord's Prayer while you're thinking of the grocery list that you have to get when you go to the store. I wouldn't consider that praying. Uh, you know, but praying, stopping, and thinking through, that's what we looked at two weeks ago. We thought through a little bit more uh, what the Lord's Prayer is and what it's about and what, what that prayer is, you know, is calling us to. Um, you know, motive, intent, as we are praying, certainly plays into into that. You know, the sincerity—they all, those—all play a role in praying, rather than simply reciting a prayer. Uh, you know, I like these passages in Ephesians. They're some of the ones. They're some of the first ones I think about when I think about praying Scripture for people. These are some of the ones I'm I'm most drawn to. This passage here in Ephesians one. It gives us a great glimpse of the glory of Christ as it pulls us into prayer. To follow along, beginning with verse 15 there. He says, This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I've never stopped giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of Him, I pray that the perception of your mind may be enlightened so you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are His glorious, the glorious riches of His inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power to us who believe according to the working of His vast strength. He demonstrated this power in the Messiah by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Now I'm just going to share with you some thoughts I had as I was as I read and studied this uh, while I was thinking of what can I learn about praying. You know, what can I not just you know praying this, but what can I learn about praying? What does this passage teach me about praying? You know, and God may prompt some other thoughts in you, and you know what, that's pretty good too. So just you know, jot those down. You got a lot of room in your outline there. Uh, whatever it is, how God God leads you. Um, You know, last week I mentioned that we should pray and thank God for those whose faith has encouraged us. Uh, You know, as well as thanking God for those that you have good memories about. Who's encouraged your faith? Who is it you have good memories about? Stop and, and take a moment and thank God for those. Thank God for those who have loved you. You know, those who have loved you, thank God for them. You know, those who have helped your faith those who have helped you, you know, stabilize in a faith, see things, uh, and see more of God. You know, take a moment and thank God for them. Now, as I was reading verses 15 and 16, where he says, "Since I heard about your faith," you know, and, and I was reading those, I thought it seemed that I could apply this to uh, my life, to my prayers. And I was thinking every day I should thank God for someone. Every day, every day as I pray, I should thank God for someone. He says, you know, he says, this is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you. I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I read that and it opened my eyes to how many people God has put in my life that I should thank him for. How many people he has brought in, not only over, you know, over the years, but, you know. I mentioned to you before that every day I write down at least three things, at least three things, uh, you know, each day that I'm thankful for. Every day I do this. Uh, you know, now, often there are more than three things. O- often I write down more than three things, but there are, I-, I write down at least three things from that day that I'm thankful for. I started this eight years ago, and uh, I, it was you know I was just, somebody brought it to my attention, and um, you know, I, and I thought this is this is something I need to do. And so I started writing down at least three things every single day eight years ago. I have not missed writing something down, at least three things down for every single day for the last eight years. Now, when I say that, are there some days I forget to do it? Yes, but what I do then is the next day I think back to that day. You know, and for eight years I've been writing down at least three things from every single day that I'm thankful for. And I read this passage and I started thinking, I should be thanking God for someone every day. You know, that, that that I should I, I should you know I I should be you know, to, you know now not generic things you know these things I write down the the things I write down from from the day it's not generic things like oh well, and now you need to be sincerely sincerely thankful for this you know but oh God thank you for the sunshine and all that you know and that's good and that's good I'm not saying it's not. You know, but what some of the things I write, like one of the things I wrote down you know, about yesterday was, what a great effort and and things everybody put forth on that picnic, and what a neat thing it was to be able to gather together, you know, as, as the church and, and out there and just interacting and you know and the, the, uh, the fellowship and things, and that was one of the things I wrote down. Well, since I've been working on this sermon, I've also been jotting down, you know, a person that God has either brought to mind that day or that I saw. And yesterday, you know, it was some of you guys that I jotted down very specifically that I thank God for and I put your names in there and why. One day, there was a day as I was working on this and the day, you know, I was thinking about it and I was riding my bike and I was, I was coming down uh, Yellow River Road uh, and turning, uh, a Mercedes sedan went by the other way. And it just prompted in my mind a thought of uh, well, a guy I, that I knew, Daryl Shegrud. Some of you know him, some of you don't. But uh, Daryl, um, Pastor Kent and I met him. He called uh, one time and wanted to share with us about a, a program he was... Um, involved with men's fraternity. He just wanted to share that with us. And I remember Pastor Kent and I sat, we were sitting right by the door at Panera uh, on the outside, and Daryl was there and plugged his computer in and were watching this video on men's fraternity during lunch with all these people coming in and out and and stuff. But one of the things that uh, prompted that, Daryl retired from doing insurance work. And he wanted to keep ministering for the Lord. And he saw his retirement as an opportunity to do it more. Uh, Daryl was in his, I think he was in his 70s when I met him. I went to uh, pick up some material from him one day. And he said, meet me over at Sunshine Restaurant, whatever the name of that place is. And he said, I'm meeting there with my mentor. Darrell was in his 80s, in his early 80s at this point, and he was meeting with his mentor. Not that he was mentoring someone, but he was still wanting to grow in his own faith and ask somebody to mentor him to grow deeper in his faith. Well, anyway, so this Mercedes sedan drove by, and what prompted my thought was, one of the things I remember... Well, that made me think of Daryl was because Daryl had, uh, after he retired and he was able to get a new car, and he bought a Mercedes, and I thought, well, that's pretty cool, you know. Just seeing that Mercedes prompted that and prompted me to thank God for him. So you see, it's not always something, it's, it's not always something that like it was yesterday where, you know there were some specific things that some people did and, and stuff yesterday which I just thanked God for it 's also those thoughts, those memories that God brings to mind you know and and, and what what He is but you know i i couldn 't believe it you know it was it was like why didn 't I realize this before to take time to thank God you know for some very specific things uh, you know and i don 't rem- don't know why i didn 't, but I do know i 'm going to try to do that now. Um, you know, either somebody, some uh, personal encounter or even something I hear about, you know, or see on the news or something. It's just something that to thank God, you know, for what, uh, what these people have, how they have touched my life. And they may not even know it. You know, this is why since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as i remember you in my prayers now these people were some of them were well known you know were well known to you know to paul he'd been in ephesus for over two years so he knew some of these people very well but the church had grown paul had when this was written paul had probably probably been away from ephesus for at least five years and the church had grown and so some of these people he never would have met but he only would have heard about from others though that he trusted and he says "I, i pray for you you know and I thought, how much, how much more of a joyful, thankful person I would be if I made it my habit to thank God for others. If I made that my habit, to thank God for others, you know, how much more would I see the good in people? How much more would I see the growth in other people if I took time to thank God for them? If I took time to thank the Lord for them? Every day, thank the Lord for someone. Well, he goes on here and continues some very specific things he prays for them. Verse 17, he says, "I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the glorious Father, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him." Now, this is worded as a continual prayer. This is worded as you know an often repeated prayer. You know, so when you're praying for others, you know, as you're praying and you're praying for others, pray that they will have a broader and deeper knowledge of God. You know, that the Father would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, he says. You know, pray for others that God will give them that broader, deeper knowledge of God. The picture here is of of deep personal insights into the true knowledge of God, knowing more of his character, more of his attributes, more of his values. And the more you know of God, the more that you know of God, the easier it is to keep in step with him. The easier it is to keep in step with Him, because the more you know of God, you don't have to ask. Well, I wonder, you know, I wonder if God, think, you know, what God thinks of this. You know what God would think of this. The more you know of Him, the easier it is to keep in step with Him. Now He talks about, you know, it says, give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. The wisdom and the revelation that He's talking about here is in keeping with God's Word. It's in keeping with his character. It's in keeping with his attributes and his values. It's not, you know, it, it's not, well, God gave me, you know. But I always just kind of shudder a little bit when someone says, I got a, I got a word of wisdom. You know, meaning, here's something that God... Now, again, God can certainly do those things, but if it's not in line with His word, His character, His attributes, and His values, and I would say God didn't give it to you. You're either listening to the enemy or you've deceived yourself if it contradicts any of those things. So when we're talking about this wisdom and revelation, you know, it is in keeping. You know, it, It's not new, previously unknown things. You know, this part is focused on growing in the wisdom and the knowledge and the person of God. Now, when we feel that we don't have that wisdom and knowledge, James tells us you know, what we can do. He says, now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, uh, it, it, who gives to all generously without criticizing, and it will be given to him. He should do what? Ask God. That's praying. If you lack wisdom, pray. Ask God. You know, when you, he will answer. You know, Some people say, God doesn't answer me. Yes, He does. He, you know, it, it, sometimes the answer is no, and you don't like it. And so you pretend that you didn't hear. Sometimes he has you wait a little bit and I don't want to wait. He always answers you. You know, Paul expands on praying for a deeper knowledge of God in his letter to the Corinthians. His first letter says, "Uh, But as it is written, What I did not see and ear did not hear and what had never entered the human mind, God prepared for those who love him. Now God has revealed these things to us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of man except the Spirit of man that is in him? Now in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we've not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. Uh, We also speak these things not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. That deep wisdom, that, that, that knowledge of God only comes from God as He works in us and moves in us by His Spirit. And He says, I pray, you know, I, I pray that you will grow in these things. Verse 18, He says, I pray the perception of your mind may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Now, some translations say, you know, may the eyes of your heart be enlightened. The Holman Christian Standard, you know, doesn't words it words it in my mind more clearly that the perception of your mind, the eyes of your heart, may be enlightened. Well, he's talking about the perception of your mind might be enlightened. So, when you pray for others, ask God to help them understand the hope that He has for us. The hope that He has for those who are His. For those who know Him as Savior, for those who have that relationship with Him, pray that you know that we will understand, they will understand that hope even more. Now, the enemy of our souls does not want you to embrace that hope. The enemy of our souls wants to diminish that hope in our lives. Paul warned the Corinthians about it. He says, in their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. The God of this age is at work and help in trying to make you, you know, blind to the things of God so that they cannot see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves because of Jesus. For it is God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. So this prayer here in Ephesians is that God will open our minds to Him and all He has for us. You know, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I I pray that the perception of your mind, that you might be able to begin to grasp those things of God. That you might be able to, to, to hold on to it. That He might open our mind. Now, our hope is not dependent on circumstance. Our hope is dependent on God. It's not circumstance. It's got, people really need to grasp this. Really need to grasp this. Our hope is not dependent upon circumstances. Sometimes circumstances stink. Remember what Jesus said, to him, the, the promise people don't want to claim. In this world you will have tribulation. King James Version. In this world you will have tribulation. We don't like to claim that promise. Now that verse goes on, he says, But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. That's what Jesus said. You know, Our hope is not dependent upon the circumstances. Our hope is dependent on God and who he is, and as, you, as you're drawn into that deeper knowledge of him, you see then your hope can be more dependent upon God. In Romans chapter 11, he says, God's gracious gift and calling are irrevocable. The hope of God is irrevocable. I've come to learn that uh, legally they pronounce that irrevocable. You can pronounce it any way you want because you know we're getting ready to die legally, see. And so we put so we we put our house and some cars and things in a trust so that when we go our kids can have access to that without having to go through a lot of legal mumbo jumbo. And so uh, Where you know it's in this trust, and I said to the you know to my my lawyer who drew up my will, who's also my friend, and I said, so is this an irrevocable trust? He says it's not an irrevocable trust. <laughs> I said, well, why? is it recoverable? But anyway, uh, uh, you know, so if you put it in, he says you put it in, an, in you know in an irrevocable trust uh, that you can't change it. That's it. You're done because can't be touched God's gracious gift and calling are irrevocable they can't be touched they can't be changed you know what he's given us there a little earlier in Romans he says this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us now Just so we're clear, hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is not wishful thinking that something might happen. Hope is that sure knowledge of God that it will happen in God's time. If you didn't study for a test, you know, if you didn't study for a test and you're hoping that you get an A, that is wishful thinking. if you're just tired of winter and you're hoping spring will come, that is a sure thing. Because it will come in God's time. So when, we talk about, when we're talking about the hope of God, we're not talking about wishful thinking. We're talking about the reality and the sure knowledge that it will happen in God's time. You know, the hope uh, you know the hope that God has for us is certain. It's going to come about in His time. It's going to come about in His timing with all of the fullness that He intends. Verse 18, I pray that the perception of your mind may, may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of His calling. What are the glorious... Riches of his inheritance among the saints. A passage I still can't get my mind around. I told you about one during communion, and I said there's another one in the the sermon, and here it is. It's a passage, you know, I I still have a hard time getting my mind around. Romans chapter 8, verse 16 and 17. Uh, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children, and if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs with Christ. Seeing that we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with Him. By God's grace, we are God's children. By His grace, we are His children and co-heirs with Christ. We have done nothing to deserve either one of these. In fact, we have done plenty to disqualify us from both of these. We have done more than enough to, to where God could say, you're out, buddy. You know, uh, we have done more than enough. And yet he tells us here, you know, he tells us here you know, that, that, that we are God's children. We are co-heirs with Christ. We certainly need help in understanding what are the glorious riches of his inheritance among the saints. We need his help in that. Verse 19, he says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his vast strength? So when you're praying for people, pray that they will increasingly know the power of God in their lives. That they will increasingly know the power of God in their lives. Now, it's interesting that he says he's praying that they will know something that's immeasurable. You know, he says, that they, and what is the immeasurable greatness? You know, he's praying that they will know something that, that you can't fully know. But while, we'll ne- while we will never fully grasp the greatness of His power here, this is an indication that we can continue to grow in the knowledge of His power. You think you know it all, you don't. You can continue to grow in the knowledge of His power. I like the way the Amplified Bible puts it. He says, so that you will begin to know what is the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of His active spiritual power in us who believe. He's talking about experiential knowledge here—that you'll have that, you know, experience with Christ. I, I believe, you know, this is both seeing what He has done in the world, as well as wh- what He's what He's done in in the life of those who know Him as our Savior. Why? Because it says to those, you know, to us who believe, to those who believe—that includes us, you know—that includes us. God has radically changed the lives of some people. I mean, you probably heard some testimonies, you know, that you know I was. Yeah, whatever it might be, I mean, what I was going to say, I should never say, so I won't. But uh, you know, but, uh, you know I, w- I was a derelict, a drug addict, you know, and I, I was licking sewer grates to to try to feed myself and all this stuff. And God got a hold of my life, and you know, now look at me now. You know, I'm a I'm a I'm a wealthy, successful person. You know, and th- those are great stories. You know, and and I love them. But don't ever forget you are a miracle of God. If you have a relationship with God through the sacrifice of Christ, what we talked about in communion, if you have that relationship with God, you are a walking miracle. You were changed from a sinner to a saint. You were, you were changed from one who, who, did not, who, did not have, who was not a part of the family of God into the family of God. You were changed from one who didn't have any, any claim at all on the things of God. You were changed from that to one who is now a co heir with Christ. Don't ever forget what a miracle you are. You know, once you were headed for hell, now you have eternity with Christ. Pray we will all increasingly experience the power of God in our lives. The immeasurable greatness of His power to us who believe. To us who believe. We need to finish this up. Verse 20. He demonstrates this power in the Messiah by raising Him from the dead and seating Him at His right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Now the power He's referring to here, is that power of God which raised and exalted Christ Jesus back to His rightful place in heaven? This is the power He's talking about. No longer dead, you know, but alive and alive forevermore. He, you know, He became sin for us. We talked about that in communion. You know, He was, He carried that burden uh, to the cross, to completion on the cross for us. And God the Father vindicated Him and by raising Him to life again and exalting Him. You know, and, and he sits, as it says, he sits at his right hand. That's the seat of honor, the seat of sovereign power. He says, pray, you know, they, they'll know more of his power in their lives because they experience the working of God in their lives. You know, he demonstrated this power of the Messiah by raising him from the dead, seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority and power and dominion, and every title given not only in this age, but in the age to come. Ephesus, you know, he wrote to the people in Ephesus and the areas around that, they believed in many gods. They believed in gods even for their own territories, you know, that, that, that their god was the most powerful one in their region. Ephesus had the temple of Diana, sometimes referred to as Artemis. And when, and when uh, Paul was preaching there, uh, many people had said, we're coming to the Lord. The silversmith said, "We are no longer going to be able to sell little little icons and statues of of you know of, of Diana, and so we need to do something about this because they're hitting me in the pocketbook, and that gets a lot of people's attention." Well, anyway, so it says there in, in Acts chapter 19, as these, this story is unfolding, it says, "But when they realized." they being the silversmiths, uh, when they realized that he was a Jew, a guy who believed in one God, only God, any God, it wasn't a God of the land, it wasn't a God of their region, when they realized he was a Jew, a single outcry went up from the crowds as they shouted, this is a picture of insanity, as they shouted for about two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, as they shouted this for about two hours. Sounds like some of the demonstrations we have today, doesn't it? As I was reading this, I thought, oh my gosh, I think I've seen this on the news. Shouting for two hours does not make your point any stronger. Shouting for two hours does not make a lie the truth. You know, behaving this way does not change the power of God at all. Pray that they will increasingly know the power of God at work in their lives to help them overcome the foolishness of the world, to help them overcome the foolishness of those who reject Christ. Verse 22, And he put everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. As you are praying for people, pray that they will know and rely on the fullness of God in their living. That they will know and rely on the fullness of God in their living. God's presence and power fill the church, His body. No no human institution has greater potential to affect greater good than the church. So stop looking to politicians. Stop looking to government. God said, if my people, who are called by my name, If they will humble themselves, if they will pray, if they will seek my face, if they will abandon their sinful ways, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. Stop looking to politicians and government for what God said he would do and calls us to do there will be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father now until then those of us who do know him as savior those who live with him as our head the one that we take our directions from the one who leads us the one whose plan we follow and the one who we live for that we should be living for we should be focused on that rely on the fullness of god you can add nothing to his fullness you do not add to what Christ has already done. We simply live in humble obedience to our King, to our Sovereign. We live, you know, we live to honor Christ Jesus and to help others come to know Him and rely on Him as well. One other thing brought up in, in, in these last couple of verses that you can pray for. Pray they'll become an active part of the church, which is His body, the fullness of the One who fills all things in every way. You know, we strive to do our best to live as an active part of his body, the church, right now. Each day. Every day. These verses, you know, they're not, the, they're not only verses that can guide our prayers. They are verses we can use as our prayer. As we close today, let me pray these verses for you. Let's pray. I never stop giving thanks for these people, Lord, as I remember them in my prayers. I pray that You, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give each one here a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the perception of their mind may be enlightened so that they may know what is the hope of your calling. What are the glorious riches of your inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of your power to us who believe according to the working of your vast strength? You demonstrated this power in the Messiah by raising Him from the dead and seating Him at the right hand in the heavens far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And you put everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for us, your church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Please continue your work In their lives, we ask in His name. Amen.